It's time for the Contempo Coding Podcast. Discussions, knowledge, and insight to help you succeed in the medical coding industry. And now, here's your host, Victoria. Of the podcast. I am so excited that it is finally Friday, or at least that it will be when you're listening to this, because I have cheat days every other Friday, and I have been dying for carbohydrates. And I'm so excited because Friday is Pizza Friday, as designated by my daughter. Every Friday should be Pizza Friday. And and I try to do that as much as I can for her. And occasionally she decides that other days should also be Friday. So she'll just go, hey, today's Tuesday. It's, It's Pizza Tuesday. Today was actually sausage pasta day, which is when I mix Uh, usually pre-cooked sausages that I get from the grocery store and chop them up, fry them up, mix them with some green giant lightly sauced veggies and some pasta and make sausage pasta, which I had today. After a a nap, I just had to pull myself out of a nap. I wanted to just continue sleeping so badly. But unfortunately, as busy as I am as a author and an entrepreneur and a social media mogul, my family is still not capable enough to feed themselves without me preparing something for them. So I had to force myself out of my absolute crash that I had in the early evening so that I could make supper. Anyway, today I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the pitfalls that I've noticed that have been fairly relevant or prevalent, I guess we should say, in medical coding. So things that you're going to see a lot that maybe they may or may not affect code selection necessarily, but are just poor habits. And should those notes wind up going through a court of law or getting heavily scrutinized through some other fashion are not going to look so good. So one of the top things I see a lot, and you'll hear this term quite a bit, and you might even hear it referred to by different things, but note bloat. So note bloat is when the provider just fills the note with tons of information, whether it's relevant or it's not relevant, just to make the note look more full and more robust because they feel that that means they can warrant a higher level of service and that they can bill higher. So this might be, you know, having things that are outdated lab data. They've not reconciled a problem list. They just dumped it all in there. They have information from acute conditions that haven't been prevalent in that patient, the patient maybe had a URI or a UTI six years ago and it's still sticking on the problem list and the provider just stuck it in there because they thought it makes the note look more full and they can bill higher. Now all services that are billed out to insurance have to be medically necessary. There has to be a reason that we're billing for that service or for that level of service and in fact There's very clear guidance in evaluation and management given by Medicare saying that medical necessity is the overarching criteria and that you should not be selecting a level of service based off of just the volume of documentation alone. You know, with our current state of ENM, which is going to change in 2021, you could technically do a comprehensive history and comprehensive exam on an established patient and bill a 99215. 
but is that really going to be medically necessary if the patient came in because they have a splinter? Well, no. But we could just, you know, we've gotten so good at EMRs, and it's not that everyone's trying to necessarily game the system, but we've become so efficient at using them, so savvy that we've figured out ways to meet Medicare's criteria for billing higher levels of service with just going click, click, click because we've built all these templates and macros in. So note bloat is a serious problem. It not only slows down other providers trying to piece through that information. I mean, can you imagine if a patient has to transfer care and the last few notes that they've had are just total messes. And I see this a lot even in the inpatient setting that a hospitalist will come in and say, oh my gosh, you know, the hospitalist that, I, that has been seeing this patient been, you know, now, that now I'm following up on, their note is just so filled with unnecessary stuff that it's taking me forever to figure out what was actually going on with this patient. So it's not only harder for the providers, it slows down coders when they're looking through that note, trying to figure out was did everything match up? You know, was there stuff that was just pulled in there for the sake of pulling stuff in there? And it even slows down auditors because then it's hard to decipher what is actually pertinent, what is problem pertinent to that presenting problem for that patient versus what is just garbage that was filled in or auto-populated through the electronic medical record. And this can really pose a risk if any of that information that they've pulled in or templated in is contradictory because then it starts bringing that whole note into question. Templates, now templates are a touchy subject. I always tell providers that we understand that you love templates and we have no problem with you using templates because we know it's a, it's a huge time saver. It really is a huge time saver for providers, especially the ones that examine the same areas over and over again. They ask the same review of systems questions over and over again. Obviously, you're going to save some time there and template out what you're at a very high likelihood of doing for every single patient. However, I would expect to not see the exact same template for every single patient. And one thing I like is when the providers make different temples for templates for like different conditions. Like, oh, I have a diabetes template that I use for my diabetic patients. I have a AFib template that I use for my AFib template uh, patients. So that's at least a little bit better. So, you know, if the patient is says in the HPI that they're coming in for, you know, coughing, wheezing, some kind of respiratory problem, I would expect to see that that template is going to reflect that, that it's not going to say that everything was negative, that there's going to be some kind of comment in the review of systems saying that the patient is positive for coughing and that the exam would also have some comments in regards to that patient's respiratory system, that they examined that patient's lungs. And again, when there is contradictory information or information that doesn't make sense, it can cause that whole note to get thrown into question. And there can be repercussions. I mean, obviously not immediately. If that insurance company skips that note and it goes right through all their clearing houses and they pay it, you know, uh, it, it might not get caught, but 
if that note gets reviewed, then it's going to start getting into question. If it, God forbid, goes to the court of law, the entire thing is going to get into question. I saw a note recently, for example, for a male patient that was coming in with some mental health issues, and it stated that the patient was not having them in relation to any postpartum conditions or any menstrual conditions for a male patient. So in that case, clearly the patient who's male is not going to be having postpartum or menstrual issues. So it really questions as to why something like that would be in the note for a patient who under any circumstances as a male would not be having menstrual issues. Now, untimely signatures is another thing to look for, and that's one, an easy thing to, to slip over because there's so many things you'll look at in a note with exams and components and pre-op diagnosis, post-op diagnosis, and measurements and everything. So it's important also to look for that signature. And this has gotten so much better, though, with EMRs. And, you know, I, I have an interesting signature story that I like to tell. So I was taking my daughter for her last pediatric visit. This was probably back in March. And, oh gosh, it had to have been prior to March because that's when we had the pandemic. But in any case, it was time for her to get her after-school care forms updated. So I brought those along, along with some other forms for her to have done. At the end of the visit, she still hadn't filled out the form. And I reminded her like, oh, hey, don't forget, I have that form that I need to get for my kids' after-school care. And she was like, oh yeah, where's that form? Let me get it out. And I, I almost forgot. And she started filling it out. The traditional way a lot of providers fill it out, they just print out the immunization form. And she wrote on the top of the, you know, school required state form, you know, see attached. And then she went, okay, now I need to just go into my bag. And she had this little almost like luggage cart type bag with her that I guess they were carrying around, you know, things that they need for their patients. And she goes, I'm just gonna reach into my bag now and I'll get out my signature stamp and here it is and I see her just stamp the bottom of my child's after school care form and my eyes I think blew up as big as tennis balls and my chin dropped to the floor because Medicare has not allowed signature stamps for physicians for years and now my mind's reeling like I'm trying to relax because it's, it's not my responsibility to, to tell this provider this because I'm just here for my pediatric visit and I'm not here to <laughs> to be their consultant um, but in the back of my mind I'm like okay so this is a pediatric patient they probably don't see a lot of Medicare patients uh, they might not know that that's a policy but it's also centers for Medicare and Medicaid and I can't imagine they're not seeing Medicaid patients and I'm assuming they would follow the same stance on signatures but this isn't really a part of the record like a note is this is the the state form saying that she had her immunizations and can go to after school care so oh my gosh Whew, that's a heck of a thing. So honestly, I don't think that it's a good idea for any practice to have signature stamps because it's easy for those to, once you start getting comfortable with using them, get onto other forms, maybe where they absolutely should not belong. And I, I'm starting to wonder if maybe that might be part of the reason that this particular provider was pulling a little wheelie cart around with her that maybe she... <laughs> 
he just has been hiding her signature stamps in there for a while. Now, one last pitfall I want to discuss is if you recall your E&M guidelines, and this is going to follow suit for some of the categories for the 2021 changes, is that the provider gets certain credits or points or um, meets certain criteria for reviewing labs and testing and other notes. But unless that provider actually says they reviewed that note, it really doesn't count. And I know a lot of providers think that because they pulled in a lab test from two years ago, that they will get credit for reviewing that lab test just because they pulled it into their note. Pulling it into your note doesn't necessarily mean that you reviewed it. It means it's just in your note. So the problem is these electronic medical records will often automatically pull in information uh, things like history, history components that maybe the word intake by the ancillary staff, like a medical assistant or an LPN of some sort. But Medicare has been very clear on their guidance that the provider has to validate that they reviewed information and that the signature at the end of the note, that serves a whole other purpose. The purpose of the signature at the end of the note is not the same as validating that a component such as a lab or a history was reviewed by the provider. I've actually recently seen some EMRs where the medical assistant is pulling in the review of systems, which technically they can do any component from history per the guidelines. Um, but then they also pull in the prior exam. So it shows on the note that the exam it appears like it was done by the medical assistant and medical assistants are not allowed to perform or document an exam. So I think that's something I personally had to take some heat from. I've had to argue with other coders, other managers, directors, and especially physicians that that signature on the note does not mean that they've reviewed all of those components in the note. That signature is different than validating that you've reviewed a lab for the purposes of scoring an evaluation and management service. And hey, I get it. Like I personally would love if I could credit the physician for every single thing that they pulled into the EMR just because they signed the bottom of the note. Uh, validating, you know, that this was, you know, information was entered by them, but then we unfortunately would have a slew of providers that would, you know, get credit for pulling in all kinds of stuff or auto-populated information in the EMR. I've seen Epic and plenty of other EMRs that when a provider starts a note, they're in that right-hand column and it'll pull in their allergies, their medications, past family's history, past social history, all kinds of stuff. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that provider reviewed it. It means that the EMR auto-populated it. And I, as an internal auditor, will go through the audit trail, I will go through the histories, and I can dig and I can see many times who entered that information? Uh, was it reviewed? You know, how many fractions of a second it took for them to put in some of that data and can follow through and almost get, get uh, the, almost picture in my mind exactly what was happening when that provider put together that note. And I'm hearing a lot more, I haven't personally experienced this, but I am hearing a lot more that insurances, if 
you know, it's a high stakes sort of audit in particular that they're not looking for a paper copy of the note. They want to get access to that electronic medical record so they can go in and start looking for that kind of thing. Gone are the days of fudging the note and making a photocopy of it to make it look authentic just to fool the insurance company. And I'm, I'm not insinuating in any way, shape, or form that every physician is out to get there. I realize that this is the minority. Um, but unfortunately, it is sometimes just the, the world that we live in. And I like to focus a lot more on the positives. And when you're having the conversations with these providers, just they like to know what, like, what is it I have to do? What is it you want me to do? And that's why you have to, when you're having these conversations, not say, well, don't use a template. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's, hey, we know you're probably going to use a template. It's a huge time saver. But here is what would be beneficial is if I you don't have the same template for everyone you make sure that you're you know updating appropriately for the things that are positive pertinent for that patient although yes we we do know that there is a lot of fraud going on I've been looking at LinkedIn lately and I swear it's just getting daunting and I know that this is some people's areas of expertise but it just seems like my whole feed lately has just been fraud 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 all providers are terrible. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's just like, gosh, can we concentrate on some of the positive things that are going on? Because I, I know there's some horrible fraud cases going on lately, but it, it almost spins it to the tune of like all providers are evil and all of them are trying to commit fraud. So I actually am going to, I was requested to, and it was been on my list for a while, but now I kind of bumped it up because there was a request. I'm going to do some LinkedIn tutorials on my YouTube channel. I think that's what I'm going to film this week, uh, showing like how you make a profile from scratch. And I'm even going to reach out and maybe do some like people that you should connect with on LinkedIn. So look forward to that. I'm going to do the LinkedIn one and I'm going to hopefully do part two of my CPC exam review tips and look forward to that on Tuesdays and Thursdays, my YouTube posting days. So I'll see you guys on Tuesday, Thursday for my YouTube updates and Friday for podcast day next week. But until then, everyone, you just keep on coding on.